Hello, this is Philip Norville Joe Carroll, author and narrator of the Pariah Podcast. As a note, episodes one through five of the Pariah Podcast are now available uh, for Kindle on the Amazon Kindle Store. They're also available for uh, print on demand in a small chapter booklet if you're interested. This is episode number eight at the Black Mastiff. Who is Sindestra? Keo asked as they climbed the stairs to their room. Hmm? Oh, yes, Morden muttered. I forgot you're not familiar with the political machinations of the designates. She was a designate a few years back who attached herself to the king to try and gain position. It's not important. The insult was for Kayleen, not for you. Once in their room, Keo took a deep breath, coughed, and rubbed his nose. He lifted a pin in the window frame, turned the panel 90 degrees, and went to the small fireplace and opened the flue, allowing fresh air to flow into the room. Why did you do that? Morden asked. Because it's hot in here, Keo said. Why do you ask? Morden just shook his head and muttered something about servants. Can I ask you something, Morden? He looked up and shrugged. Yeah, go ahead. Kayleen said you have such poor balance that you can't stay on a horse. Morden turned his back on Keo and said, while he walked to his bed and lay down, It's true. I'm hopeless when it comes to horsemanship. Impossible, Keo said, and stepped to the side of the bed. Morden lay on top of the feather comforter. You cannot fence like you do, or dance as well as you do, and not have the balance to stay on a horse. Why are you lying to her, and me? I might as well tell you, Morden said without the least hint of remorse. You already know I'm afraid of small spaces. No, you're not. Look, you're in here, and it's a small place. I should say tight, dark spaces like a tunnel or a highway through the forest. Kayleen doesn't know this, so don't go telling her. What she finds out always seems to find its way back to my uncle, the designate, and then to my father. But the reason I hate the southern draw and my duties there is because I can't go into the mines. It's the same thing as the highway through the forest. I feel like the earth is going to crush me in the mines. The deeper I go, the more I feel it. The weight of all that dirt and rock above me is squishing me down. I've even had my nose and ears start bleeding from the pressure. In the forest, I felt like I was underground and my mind fell apart like I was in the mines. Keel, I can't go back to the mines after my king's service. If I go back there, I would have to go into the mines or walk away from what little inheritance I have there. That's why I need to succeed as an officer, to get my uncle's attention, so he'll grant me a different inheritance away from the mines. I understand that, but what has it got to do with not having a good sense of balance? Morden rolled to the edge of the bed and sat. I don't have bad balance. I'm afraid of horses. It took a minute for the idea to sink in. This young man was not at all as he appeared. That's a lot different than being afraid of tight places. Did you get bitten or thrown by a horse when you were little? No. When I was a child, I could sit on them. My nanny tells me how I used to love to sit on the horses and be led around by someone holding on to the reins. 
The older I got, the more I felt out of control. Do you know what I mean? I felt like I should be able to control what the horse did and where it went, but I couldn't. I couldn't control it any more than I could hold water in my hands, like it kept leaking through my fingers. Now, as soon as I sit on a horse, I feel like it's going to start running, and I won't be able to stop it. It will just go faster and faster until I fall off. Sometimes I dream. Never mind. It's been over a year since I last tried riding a horse. Keo thought he should say something, encourage Morden, tell him everything would work out. Every suggestion he thought of only sounded trite. Morden finally spoke again. My stomach has been in knots since I climbed on the wagon in the southern draw. You can't be an officer if you can't ride a horse. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm sorry, Keo said, thinking that was the lamest thing he could have said. But he was sorry for the boy. He just didn't know how to help him. Keo and Kayleen cantered along a trail, heading away from the city, just across the North Bridge. I can't get used to calling it the North Bridge. It's on the southern highway, at the western edge of the city, on the eastern edge of the lake. And there's no southern bridge, Keo said. The original city of Banders Peak was only on the south side of the river feeding into the Falls Lake. So the bridge was to the north, or the northern bridge, Kayleen smiled and said. Keo laughed as the horses slowed to a walk. Of course, all I've known of the city so far is from its southern gate to the service grounds and a few places in between. He knew he sounded stupid, but he couldn't help himself. When Kayleen set her eyes on him, it was like his tongue disconnected from his brain and ran off on its own. Kayleen smiled at Keo. Her eyes showed none of the anxiety she had when she first settled uneasily into the saddle. She wore a split riding gown, in shades of green and gray, with lacy-edged petticoats, fancier than most the festival day gowns Brooke had displayed since her twelfth birthday. Keo noticed with alarm that her bodice was no longer laced to the top, and the silk panel, meant to maintain her modesty, had slipped and was no longer remotely effective. Keo heard her giggle. Her eyes twinkled with laughter when he dragged his eyes away from the bodice, back up to meet them. She licked her upper lip with the tip of her tongue, making it glisten as brightly as her teeth, and she said, I'm sorry we've only just met and have so few days before we go into the service. There's a lot I could show you in the city if we had the time. The lake spread out like deep blue glass from where the river entered it, downstream from the bridge. They dismounted and tied the horses to a tree with elongated, star-shaped leaves Keo didn't recognize. After the bogs along the lake had been drained and a dike had been built to prevent flooding the area again, many trees were imported for their exotic appearance and established in the park. Wooden benches sat randomly along walking paths. With easy access from the highway, only a hundred yards to the northeast, City dwellers crowded into the park on hot summer days or holidays to enjoy the cool air off the river. Though the weather was warm, this close to the spring equinox, the ground was still too wet and the air too chill for most people. Keo and Kayleen were quite alone. 
The mid-afternoon sun warmed their backs. Kayleen sat sideways on the bench, with one knee crossed over the other, facing Keel. Green silk riding skirts splayed out around her, and soft leather riding tights showed at her exposed ankle and calf. She had not retied the laces of her blouse. If anything, she had loosened them further. Her yellow-blonde hair hung down her back in a loose, thick braid, exposing the detail of her fine jawline and long neck. Kayleen hung her knee off the bench and turned to snuggle beneath Keo's arm and rested her head on his chest. She slipped her hand through his open tunic and under-tunic to stroke her fingertips across his chest. She looked up into his eyes, hers glistening with pent-up emotion. She ran the tip of her tongue along the edge of her teeth and said, "'Thank you for teaching me to ride.' "'If you told me you'd written before, I would believe you. "'You took to it very easily. "'I've always learned fast when it's something I really wanted to know,' "'she said in a breathy, growling voice. "'Kayleen's fingertips tingled along the skin of his chest, "'and he sensed a new emotion rumbling in his back behind his lungs. "'That was wrong,' Kyo knew. "'It wasn't a new sensation. "'He'd felt it when Eva kissed him.' However, the intensity was so much greater that it appeared to be something new. Deep in his head, Keo questioned her intentions. Out in the rest of his body, he wasn't listening to his brain. He bent forward and kissed her lightly on the lips. As if he was a rabbit and had tripped a snare, Kayleen squeezed her body against his, slid her hand from his tunic and dropped it into his lap, kissing him back with frantic intensity. Like the seed pot on the bonbon tree, at one moment bloated and stretched, and an instant later the shell peeled back and the fine mist of seeds blasted into infinity, the sensation creeping around Keo's lower back burst into his chest. He wrapped his arms around her as well and drank in her passion, squeezing her slender frame in his arms. Yet... Through the deluge of sensation, a tiny thought buried in the back of his brain bubbled toward the surface. Kayleen wriggled as if trying to get even closer than she was, her breasts pressing against his chest as she squirmed. Savoring the sensation of his mouth on hers, the soft material of her riding gown at his fingertips, and the rapid rise and fall of her chest against his, he only vaguely noticed as she fingered the knot in his belt, loosened his tunic, and reached for the tie at his hose. Kayleen, Keo said, pulling back from her. She moved in on him all the more. Kayleen, he said louder. She mumbled something incomprehensible, pressing her lips back to his. Kayleen, he said, almost a shout. Keo pushed away from her and stood, looking down at her, panting on the wooden bench, her bodice fully unlaced. I don't know what you're doing. She smiled at him wickedly and asked, Are all boys so naive where you come from? No, of course not, Keo said, turning his back on Kayleen and retying his belt. He then turned back to her, folding his arms. I mean, I know what you're doing, but I don't know why. Why? Because we only have a few days left to enjoy our youth. Next week, we'll all be in the king's service, trying to act like adults and taking on adult responsibilities. Relax and enjoy yourself for a while, Kayleen said with a hint of a sneer in her voice. I admit... I am more naive than most of you city people, and I am still young. What you want from me for your entertainment has responsibilities attached to it, long-lasting adult responsibilities. 
Then be an adult, Keo, she said, standing and walking to him, gritting her teeth in determination. She grabbed his tunic and yanked it open. Take me and make this into something adult and long-lasting. I've waited fifteen years for this. No, Kayleen, I like you, and I like being with you. You're fun to dance with, and you're, well, you're beautiful, but I'm not ready for this. You're not ready? Oh, I know you're ready. You're just afraid. I've seen you look at me, how you ogle my breasts, and I can feel it in you. There's one thing about me, Keo. I know what people feel, and I can use that. Kayleen paused, wide-eyed, as if she had stumbled, and looked around her feet. She patted her chest until her breathing calmed, and she smiled at him and said, I can use what people feel to help them be ready for what they really want to do. What I really want to do is get on my horse and head back to the inn, Keo said. How can you be such a backwater and still be so arrogant? she asked, still gripping his open tunic and shook him. Keo put his hands on Kayleen's wrists, lifted her and carried her to her horse. I wouldn't say that I'm arrogant, but then it's me talking. I've been confident my whole life because of what happened when I was a little boy. You could say that someone told my fortune, and I've watched my life unfold since then, with everything supporting that prophecy. As he carried her to her horse, he watched the glare in her eyes change from frustration to anger and then edge toward hate, only to have it swing back the other way. By the time he hefted her up to the saddle, she was laughing. She swung her leg over the saddle and said, You are an unusual character, Keo. I'm glad I've gotten to know you. She laughed, but Keo thought her words were more ominous than humorous. I'm also glad I've gotten to know you better, Keo said, matching her tone. Speaking of better, you'd better lace that bodice back up or something just might shake out of there on the trip back to the city. Kayleen huffed, shook the reins, and galloped her horse toward the city, not as someone unfamiliar with horsemanship. Keo chased after her and was soon riding beside her again. She leaned forward over the pommel and shook the reins to race forward again. Kia whistled through his teeth and both horses slowed to a canter. No matter how hard she shook the reins and kicked her heels into the horse's sides, her mount refused to change its pace. "'What did you do?' she said through gritted teeth. "'Didn't I tell you I have a way with animals?' Kia asked. She frowned at him beneath perfectly maintained eyebrows. Kia said, the stableman told me if the horses should get away, to whistle like that, and they would return to the stables at a walk. I'm sure the reason you learned to ride so well in this short time is because the horses are so well trained. She didn't answer or even look at him until they were almost back to the inn. Has Morton told you his plans for his training? Kayleen asked conversationally. I don't know what you mean, Keo said honestly. He's going into the selection office the morning of the first day. It's up to the selection office what he does with his training, isn't it? Well, of course, that part of it is. All designate thirds go into the military as officers. But what he does with that afterwards is what will have the greatest effect on my, well, the greatest effect on our entire designation. Okay, I misunderstood. I thought the designate, your uncle will make the decision for who will be his replacement based on his own feelings about which son, daughter, or cousin, or niece, or nephew appears to be the best for succession 
and keeping the designation in his family line. If there's anything else that you thirds do, or need to do, Morden didn't tell me about it. She didn't look like she believed him, but Kayleen neither asked nor said any more until they were dismounting in the Mastiff's stables. Keo helped her from the saddle and set her lightly on the ground. She gripped his arms, though she looked to the ground at her side. When she did look at him again, she said, I'm sorry how I acted at the river park. I have to realize that country attitudes and customs may be different from how I have been raised. I hope you still have dinner with us and dance a turn or two afterwards. Thank you, Keo said. I will look forward to it. He tried to take his hands from her waist. Her fingers tightened on his wrists for a moment before she released them, turned away, and left the stables. Keo watched her leave, feelings from his heart colliding with those from his brain. What is she after? he wondered. The stableman stood at the open double doors and nodded to Keo as he left. Your trick with the whistle worked well. Your horses are well trained. Did you do the training? Yes, young lord, he said with a short bow. I'm not a lord, Keo thought. I'm a creature handler, tiger hawk rider. Keo stopped and turned back to the small but solid man. May I have the same two horses tomorrow? By all means, young lord, he said, bowing again. I'm not a lord, Keo said. Call me Keo. Thank you. I will, Lord Keo. He headed to the inn, considering how well trained the stableman was, as well as his horses. After an evening meal and dancing with each of the girls, Keo and Morden returned to their room for the night. I have to tell you about Kayleen, Keo said. Oh, Morden asked, sounding unconcerned. She started asking me a lot of questions about you. He had the other boy's attention then, and Morden asked, Like, what kind of questions? Mainly what your plans are after your time in the king's service. I told her I didn't know, only that you said the designate will choose his successor based on who he feels has the greatest potential to keep the designation strong. Arrgh! Is that what you said? Exactly as you said it? Pretty much. I don't remember my exact words, but that was the meaning. Morden sighed. I only hope she takes your words at their face value and doesn't build anything into it. I don't know how she could. It was a pretty simple statement. She can twist things quite nicely, believe me. Before you know it, she'll be telling my fellow designate thirds that I am positioning myself to be in my uncle's eye for selection as the next designate from our line. Aren't you? Keo asked. Well, yeah, I guess so. We all are. But as soon as you say something about it, or acknowledge it, then suddenly it becomes a bad thing, and everyone looks down on you as being power-hungry. So we all want it, but we can't act like we want it. I'm glad I'm a farm boy, Keo said. And I wish I was too, Morden said, and readied himself for bed. The following day, Keo didn't see Kayleen at breakfast nor did she show up to watch them practice at swords. As Morden finished his lunch and leaned back in his chair, Keo spoke up. Can you believe it's only two days until spring equinox and service begins? No, you're right. Time really went fast. You notice that wagon hasn't shown up yet, and I've still got all my things on it, unless they sold them or dumped them off. Okay, Keo said and stood, trying to act casually. Could you come out back with me? I need your help with something. 
Morden shrugged and stood up, following Keo down a passage toward the back of the inn. What's out back? Morden asked. The courtyard, of course. I need your help out there, Keo said, walking faster so he wouldn't have to answer too many questions. They passed the kitchens and descended narrow stairs to the back of the inn. Stables, barns, a blacksmith's shop, and a small winery with a still surrounded the courtyard. A gap wide enough to allow a single wagon to pass between the smithy and the winery allowed access to the cobbled road that passed by the inn. What do you need? Morden asked. Why does the stableman insist on calling me Lord Keel? I'm not a lord, and I told him not to call me that, Keel said, dodging Morden's question for as long as he could. That's his station, Morden said. He is a stableman. His job is to serve the lords and ladies who stay at the inn. It would be odd for anyone to stay at this inn who is not a lord. If we hadn't stumbled across those outlaws, you would be living in the training camp barracks right now. Really? Keo asked, feeling betrayed. You wouldn't have invited me to stay with you? Morden shrugged, looking around the courtyard suspiciously. I told you already, I started my journey with as few ticks as you. My branch of the family is far from the roots of wealth. My hope is to... Wait! Where are we going? Over here, in the stables, Keo said. I told you I had a way with animals. Well, I thought of something when I was out riding with Kayleen yesterday. Keo found that Morden had stopped and stood several feet behind him. He took the other boy by the arm and walked him into the barn, where the stableman stood behind the two horses he and Kayleen had ridden the day before, and were saddled and tied to a rail. There are some things you can avoid, and some things you can cover up, Keo said, watching his friend's face as Morden eyed the horses nervously. Some things you're going to have to confront and overcome. If you're going to be an officer in the military, you will have to ride a horse. And we only have two days to get you ready. Morden swallowed audibly. I know, he wheezed through a dry throat. I'm good with animals. Look, Keo said, and put his hand on the horse's nose. You can put your hand on its nose. I'm very impressed, Morden said without a trace of humor. Well, no, it's more than that, Keo said, looking around at each of the stalls. He turned to the stableman. Do you have a horse or animal that's really skittish? Yes, Lord Keo. The third stall on the right. Come along, Keo said to Morden. Lord Keo? the stableman asked. Keo rolled his eyes. The horse blew and stamped its hooves, backing up to the end of the stall when the two walked up. It wickered and stepped sideways, one way and then the other. Keo held out his hand, palm up, over the chest-high gate. The horse blew again and threw its head forward twice, stepped back, and stood still. Keo didn't move. The horse, black as night, with a single white diamond on its nose, blended into the darkness of the stall. Only the white patch and a reflected gleam in its eyes told of the horse's presence. Keo reached out to the horse in his mind, telling her what a good horse she was and how happy he was with her, and that he would be kind to her, care for her, and keep her safe. The horse lowered her nose to the ground and slowly walked forward. When she reached the gate of the stall, she raised her head and placed her chin in Keo's palm. "'By all the gods, Lord Keo,' I don't believe my own eyes, the stableman said. Keo lowered his hand. The horse turned slowly and walked to the edge of its stall, in a circle, passing by the three men once again, 
returned to the darkness at the back of the stall, and stayed there. Are, are you going to teach me to ride? Morden asked. No, Kayleen told me you'll get plenty of training on how to ride a horse in your leadership school. I'm going to teach you how to tell a horse that you're a friend. If a horse believes in you and trusts you, you will have to do very little. The horse will do all the work. Two days later, Morden had wished him well and reported to the designate's induction office, leaving Keogh to find his way among the rest of the thirds. He sat along one wall of a waiting room, outside the creature handler selection chamber. At least he was inside the building now. He was getting closer. Although, standing in the long line outside, he could see the clock tower. Inside, he could only guess at the time. Then he heard it, three rapid chimes and five long from the tower outside, one quarter hour before the evening sixes, and there were still thirty others ahead of him in line. He was likely to just miss selection this evening. He had come early enough to check his sword into the armory and stow his bundle in the building next door and assume his position in line on the parade grounds. The line moved slowly. Only ten servicemen entered the selection chamber at one time. Keo assumed there must be some kind of orientation on what to do, how to speak to a creature, and then each got their turn. The sergeant, who had been taking each new group of applicants into the chamber, slipped out the door and said, "'Selection will be ending early tonight. Now don't get all riled up. You will hold your places and be seen in the same order in the morning. Those of you who have already been assigned temporary quarters may return there this evening. Those who have not will report to the housing office.' which is behind the building where you signed in earlier. He opened the door and stepped back. Keo's heart sank at having to wait another night to move on to what he knew already was his destiny. His heart seemed to drop into the pit of his stomach when he saw the creature come from the selection room, followed by its elderly handler. An armor dog, Keo said. He had never seen one before, only read a description. The other selectees were equally amazed and gasped and murmured questions. The creature was tired beyond belief. It held its head barely above the floor as it dragged its paws toward the outer door. Keel was filled with compassion for the poor beast, and he raised his hand toward it. The handler stumbled into his companion animal as it stopped and raised its head, turning to look at Keel. Its eyes, once clear and black, were clouded and white and watered as it squinted past its horned nose at him. Without hesitation, as if Kia was originally its destination, the creature ambled toward him. Armor plates on the creature's back, covered in felt-like fur, snapped and pomped as the worn cartilage beneath the plates gave way and joints creaked like a rocking chair. The creature was in terrible pain. It reached Keo, raised its massive head and rested its chin on Keo's shoulder and sighed, closing its eyes. Keo struggled to stay upright beneath the creature's weight and stroked the single horn on the creature's nose, noting cracks in the discolored ivory. It tipped its ears toward Keo. He couldn't bear its weight and knelt allowing the beast to rest its chin on his back while Keo wrapped his arms around the armored dog's neck. Son? The old man's voice cracked and popped as much as the creature's back and knees. 
Keo looked up at the handler's tear-filled eyes and said, He's so old and in such pain. Isn't there another creature that's younger to take his place? This creature deserves to rest. The old man knelt by his creature, wrapping his arm over its back, and buried his face in its broad tufted ridge that ran down its spine. His back heaved as the old man sobbed on its neck. The room was dead silent, surface applicants and leaders alike. No one moved as they took in the scene before them. A woman in a uniform tunic with military edging along the bottom came from the examination room and asked, "'What's going on here?' No one near her knew how to answer. Some shrugged, others shook their heads. She strode toward the creature and its handler. Parallel gold stripes stretched the length of her hose from her boots to the edge of her tunic. Keo was sure this meant she was of a higher rank, since he hadn't seen anything like it that day. Still, hugging the armored dog's neck, his shoulder buried in the loose folds of fur, he stroked the creature from its floppy ears to its muscular shoulder. When the woman frowned down at him, he quickly stood and assumed the approximate position of attention they had shown him a dozen times that day in preparation for the selection test. Ma'am, my name is Kiyo Noshani, and I'm here for selection. This creature is old and tired beyond belief. He wants to serve, as he has in the past, but doesn't have the stamina anymore. I believe his handler agrees. I'm sorry, Colonel Pringert, the handler said. The boy's right. We are both old, but we remember fondly the active nature of our service. We've overstretched my creature, and I think it needs a good rest. Perhaps it is time you both retired, Lead Sergeant Cassidy, the colonel said. He dropped his head and said, Yes, ma'am. Applicant Noshani, is it? the colonel asked. Yes, ma'am. What gives you the permission to tell a handler about his creature? and myself about the maintenance of my corps and members. I beg your pardon, ma'am. When I saw the creature come out, he looked so tired. I asked him if he was okay. I asked him if he was sick. There was hesitation, but I felt he was not. I asked him if he was tired, and he told me he wasn't too tired to serve, but I don't know if I would believe him. Do you know what you're saying? the colonel asked though it sounded more like the question was for herself and not for Keo. Yes, ma'am, quite clearly. Tell me then, applicant, what are you saying? Her voice had dropped to a whisper, though each word was intense and hit him like hailstones. Ma'am, I can talk to animals. The more intelligent creatures, such as this armor dog, can give me impressions in response to my questions. This creature is proud of his service and is reluctant to quit completely. I get the feeling he's afraid he'll die if he does. Sergeants and other permanent force members cleared out the remaining applicants, though most left reluctantly, straining to see what was going on in the waiting room. Lead Sergeant Cassidy, report to my office in the morning, half after the sixes. Applicant Noshani, report to my office this evening in one hour. Sergeant Momoki will give you directions. The sergeant nodded a salute from across the room and headed toward Keo as the colonel hurried back into the examination room. That evening, after Keo had gotten some dinner, the sergeant led him to the colonel's office. Relax, Noshani. 
Mumulke said as they walked toward the colonel's office. Most everyone here at the disbursement camp are friendly. All you young people are going to have your share of screaming instructors for the next few months. We try to make it easy on you while you're here. It wasn't long ago that we were walking through those doors for the very first time ourselves. Don't make it difficult for us, and we'll make it easier for you. Besides, there's no one here to impress. We can't promote you like your permanent instructors can. They passed rows of identical brick buildings, three stories high, and stretching away as far as Keo could see. A torch burned on the front porch of each. Few others his age walked the streets, though he imagined in just a few days trainees from around the country would be crowding this neighborhood and calling it their new home. Past the rows of barracks, several single-story buildings with small courtyards surrounded by short walls formed their own rank. The sergeant pointed Keo to one of them and said, "'This is Colonel Pringert's office. In case you haven't figured it out yet, she is the officer in charge of all the king's servants, who are identified as potential creature handlers. I don't know what she wants to talk to you about, other than what happened in the selection room today. In all my years working with her, she has never asked anyone to come to her office the evening of a selection. I've seen her bring people to her office to punish.' but she always tells them up front they are going to be punished and sets the interview two or three days later, so I don't think you're in trouble. Thank you, Sergeant. That makes me feel a little better. We're a few minutes early, so go on in and stand at ease out of the way. When she's ready, she'll call for you. I'll wait for you to come out in case the colonel gives you orders. Whatever happens, good luck, and that was pretty impressive what you did with that armor dog and its handler. Kind of scary, but really impressive. Thanks, Keo said, and left the sergeant. He didn't hesitate and pushed open the door. The anteroom was empty of people. Several wooden stools lined the walls to each side of the room. They were all empty, of course, it being so late in the day, but a line of roundish smudges marked the wall above the stools where a row of anxious servants regularly rested their heads, anticipating the coming interview. A door stood closed directly ahead. Keo closed the door behind him and stood to the side, with his hands clasped behind his back. Not a minute passed and the door ahead opened a small amount, and Keo heard the colonel say, Creature handler trainee Noshani, come in. Keo walked into her office, stopped a respectful distance from the table and snapped to attention. His hands balled into fists, the knuckles against his legs, and he nodded his head down in salute. Creature handler trainee Noshani is present. Curling papers, recently taken from message tubes, littered the table. She didn't appear to look at any of them as she moved them to the side to clear a space before her. She took a flat sheet of paper from a stack at her wrist, dipped the nib of her pen delicately into a small jar of ink, and said, Stand at ease and tell me about yourself. He clasped his hands behind his back and spread his feet a comfortable distance. Ma'am, I was raised on a farm, and people said I had a special way with animals. My, well, my, I'm sorry, he said, bowing his head. He looked back up. The colonel wasn't upset. She looked thoughtful and said, Go on, you may speak freely. I promised my sister I'd tell no one of this, but I believe she meant that I'd tell no one at the training camp, so that I wouldn't have any unfair advantage or disadvantage. 
The colonel nodded to him to continue. I'm not a third. I'm a ninth. The third in my family is Celine Noshani, the commandant at the training camp. I thought the surname was familiar. I had a brother who was a sixth, and he died in combat. Both Celine and my brother had tiger hawks. When I was five years old, I spoke to Celine's tiger hawk, and when I was twelve, it let me ride it without first asking Celine for permission. You have known for ten years that you are able to speak with creatures, she said, as if tasting the flavor of the words. Yes, ma'am. And I was able to guess, or understand, the feelings of our farm animals, a little. Not like today with the armor dog. I won't say I heard it speak to me, but the impressions were so clear it was almost as if it spoke. Most creature handlers develop a sense of understanding with their creatures, the colonel said. Understanding another's creature is unheard of. Keo felt uncomfortable as the colonel eyed him, appearing to consider him. She leaned forward, dipped her pen into the ink, and wrote on a small rectangle of paper. She gave it to him. These are your current orders. Report to Training Corps number 999. You will remain with that corps until you march to the Creature Handler Training Camp. You were wise to share with me what you have, but your sister... Commandant Noshani was also wise to counsel you to keep your connection to her secret. Do you have any questions for me? No, ma'am. Thanks for asking. Gather your things from storage, visit the quartermaster, and show him this card. He will supply you with uniform tunic and hose. Then report to your station. Welcome to the Creature Handler Corps, Noshani. I expect great things from you. Thank you, ma'am, Kyo said, assuming the position of attention and nodding a salute. Thank you for listening to the Pariah Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more, stop by my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Joe and see how you can help me produce these episodes and earn some bonuses for yourself at the same time. If you could help me out by going to iTunes and leaving a review, I'd love you for the rest of my life. Any kind of feedback to an author or producer is more sustaining than food and water. If you'd like to know what else I've written or am writing, stop by my website at norvaljoe.com or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash philipcarrollauthor. Philip with one L, Carol with two R's and two L's. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.